Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, in today's episode, we're talking about midlife career pivots and being on the right path with Johanna Ginsburg. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I'm so glad to be here with you again. Now, you are going to love this interview today. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you may have heard me talk about the importance of understanding your transferable skills when it comes to a midlife career pivot, and that it's also important to understand that even though you don't know exactly where you're going, you might just be on the right path. (laughs) I know that's a hard one, but it's just so true. Well, my guest today has a really cool career transition story. Her pivots and her path took her exactly where she needed to go, as is usually the case with amazing women in the middle. So interesting, and I know you'll appreciate the twists and turns along the way. But just quick, before we go into the whole story, there are two things I want to tell you. First, I want to make sure that you know about a free gift that I have for you called Top 10 Questions to Reimagine Your Life After 50. Ask yourself, is your life feeling a little blah lately? Do you know that you're meant for more but don't know how to get there? Are you starting to get concerned about your lack of work-life balance? These 10 questions in this guide help you get clear so that you can reimagine your life after 50. Head on over to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash 10 questions and you can grab it there. And second, I have a new opportunity to tell you about. I have a sister podcast coming called Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, and I'm currently looking for guests. So if you're a woman in the middle who's 50 plus and also an entrepreneur or business owner who's actively dealing with navigating around and through classic midlife related obstacles and challenges while you're trying to run your business, this new podcast is especially for you. If you're interested in learning more about how to be a guest, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. There's lots more information there so you can see if you're a good fit for this show. Okay, my friend, let me introduce you to my amazing guest on the podcast today. My guest is Johanna Ginsburg. Johanna is a journalist and attorney who believes everyone has a story to tell and that our narratives connect us to what really matters. She's also the co-founder and program director of Finding North LLC, a travel program of reflection and meaning making. She holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan and a JD from the University of Michigan Law School. After several years as a criminal defense attorney, she returned to her passion of writing, working first as director of publications at the Jewish Theological Seminary and then at the New Jersey Jewish News, where she was a senior writer. She currently writes on a freelance basis. Her bylines have appeared in The Forward, The New York Jewish Week, Jewish Telegraphic Agency, the Jerusalem Post, MyJewishLearning.com, and other outlets. She has also earned Rock Hour Awards, New Jersey Press Association Awards, and the David Torsky Award. Johanna's personal story of career transition and midlife pivots is so inspiring. Step by step, decision by decision, she's moving forward and loving it. 
I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Hi, Joanna. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. So glad to be here. I love your story about being a writer and then doing something else. And the reason it's so interesting to me is because so many women in the middle want to be writers. So they've been doing something else. (laughs) They want to become writers. So your story, like I said, is really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about what was going on for you that you came to journalism and what was going on in your 40s? How did it all look for you? That's a great question, Susie. Um, Becoming a writer was my first reinvention. I started my career as a criminal defense lawyer. And the truth is, I always wanted to be a a writer. Um, I've been writing since I was about eight years old. I just never really considered it as a career path. And, you know, after practicing law and hating it, I just reverted to my original authentic self and became a writer. And that's probably a story for another day. But for the last 20 years or so, I was um, of my writing career, I was a journalist uh, at a weekly paper in New Jersey called the New Jersey Jewish News. And I'm a freelancer now. I have, you know, I still have a finger in the pie and I write for a variety of um, media outlets. And what happened was basically the local weekly paper that I was working for went under during the pandemic. And so I found myself in my mid 50s having to find a new path forward. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I wanted to go back to one thing you said. Why didn't you as a as a young person, why didn't you think writing was uh, a possible way to move forward with your career? I was very ambitious as a young person. I did really well in school. I had envisioned, you know, a starry, uh, wealthy, um, very forward driving career. And I didn't really see how you could do that as a writer. I I never really thought about journalism. I had been a creative writer. I wrote poetry and essays. And I didn't really see myself as the kind of person who wanted to have a creative life. My sister was an actor. She was waiting on tables. That's not really the kind of life I saw for myself. I saw myself in an office, you know, wearing suits and running things. And um, I just really put aside my creative self and decided I was going to be a go-go professional. That's so interesting that the only way you thought about writing was as a creative thing in the same bucket as all kinds of other creative things that we get a voice in our head about from that. You cannot make a living. (laughs) And, and I was told by no, by many people, you cannot make a living. Don't do that. Um, And so I was young and stupid and I just, you know, I just thought I would be a lawyer. So I went to, <laughs> you know, I went to law school and I really hated it from day one and I hated practicing. And when I sat down to figure out what is it that I want to do, I realized that there's really only one choice and that was to be a writer. So I did start um, in the public relations field and um, I've always been sort of a not-for-profit kind of person. So I started at a not-for-profit um, in a communications job. Uh, so it was still like pretty structured and like tr- more traditional. And then you got to wear a suit. I did get to wear a suit sometimes. <laughs> we didn't really wear suits, but sometimes. And um, and then and then I, I had children, and I really didn't want to be commuting. Um, it was a it was a commute from New Jersey into Manhattan, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And then I saw a job posting for um to be a journalist at, at a paper where I had you know done I had done some work with the editor in my 
pitching stories from the other side. And so I, I called and said, you know, hey, uh, what do you think? And he said, when can you start? And so I basically okay. learned on the job. And that was, and that last ended up lasting 20 years. Wow. I love that. You know, I'm having just always in these podcast interviews, I always find myself saying, Oh, I'm having a little flashback. What you said about the suits is so interesting on how young women of our age and stage, like growing up in the seventies, how we perceived success and a successful career and my image also was a suit. And I remember that um when I was in grad school, I was so broke, like I was down to less than zero. <laughs> and I had to borrow money from friends to move into the city from my university. I got a job and I didn't have money to buy a suit and I didn't have money for first and last month in my new apartment. And I remember using my credit card and I bought two suits. One was blue, kind of linenish. And the other, like navy blue, and the other one was herringbone and pantyhose and black patent leather pumps. <laughs> you had to have patent leather pumps. I needed them. And, you know, and I wasn't in corporate. I was in a public health department, but it was an office. And in my, oh, and I had a, uh, I had some kind of a leather satchel, like something that was briefcasey with a strap, you know, very, very nice looking. And that's what I thought success was and I never really put it in this perspective until you mentioned that. And, but w today it's so different. I mean, even after the pandemic, it's more different than it ever was before in terms of how people work, what they wear. I don't think I've been out of yoga pants in like years. <laughs> as long as the top looks nice, like I put makeup on every day. I I feel I, I change my jewelry, <laughs> but from the bottom down, uh. I'm wearing slippers and cozy socks, <laughs> comfortable, everything. It's just so interesting that messaging that we got about what success uh, looked like for us then. And now I'm sure, you know, many people who have amazing success and don't wear suits. Because the world has changed so much since then, Susie. So much. So, okay. So now you are a journalist. And how old were you when that pivot happened? Uh, I was about 53 or 54. Did it feel like an amazingly brilliant decision immediately? Because <laughs> you're starting something new. To, to to be unemployed as a journalist in my 50s? <laughs> no, you were employed. I'm, I'm talking about being employed. I guess I was wondering how scary it was. To, to lose the job. No, to accept the journalist job. To accept the journalism job. No, not scary. Very <sighs> exciting. It was really fun. I was going to learn something new. I was going to be engaged in the local community. And I wasn't exactly sure like what it was going to be, but I was like ready to go. Um, I was just really excited about it. I, I was very, you know, I was young and stupid and confident. You know, I could do anything. <laughs> I thought I could do anything. So why not this? <laughs> I love that. But were you getting a lot of pressure and and grief about leaving law? Everyone knew I hated law. Um, mm. And when I took the, and I'll never forget when I took the job, when I first left law and I was in touch with somebody from high school, she said, of course you're writing. Like, what else would you be doing? It was so obvious, you know, to pe people who knew me that, that this was much better suited to my talent, skills and temperament. Um, so that was also like, it was a relief. Well, when I started, it was such a relief um, 
to be able to walk into work every day knowing that I was writing and editing and doing what I loved. Ah, uh, where is this wisdom when we need it? You know, we just don't trust ourselves. We It's so common to think, oh, somebody else knows me better than I know myself. You know, I, I need somebody else to tell me what to do. And you knew from a little girl, you knew you loved it. Yeah. So anyway, you found your way, which is amazing. And I'm sure there was a lot of your training in law that helped you as a journalist. <laughs> People always say that. I don't know if that's true. I think, you know, you're not afraid of lawyers. I'm not afraid of contracts. I'm not afraid of, you know, negotiating and saying, I, you know, I want something more. But um, I, I don't know how much of my experience in a courtroom um, translates to my experience, you know, interviewing people, a little bit into telling people's stories, which is really what I do. Um, so to the extent that I was telling somebody's story then, and I'm still telling people's stories now, I, I think that translates. Um, and, and that's really the through thread of everything that I do is tell people's stories and help people tell their own stories. I, I don't know that the legal stuff really is so helpful or useful. Well, I love that you, you yeah. see the thread there is the storytelling, which is really great. Um, okay. So then the pandemic. And then? So the pandemic comes and um, we were writing furiously because, as you can imagine, it affected everything we do in our lives. And newspapers were the one thing that really didn't stop. You still wanted to know what was happening and what new institutions in the community were shutting down and how we were going to manage that. And um, and then we, and then the paper shut down. And, you know, as you know, many newspapers, many um, local reporting outlets have been shutting down over the years. Ours lasted longer than most. And I really sort of thought and hoped I would ride it out because I did really like what I was doing and I had a you know loyal following. Um, but of course, that was not to be. And so then it was just, okay, like now what? And I really, really thought it was just going to get another job right away. And that someone was going to, you know, if not knocking on my door, I was going to send my resume out to, you know, a dozen places and they would, you know, scoop me up because I'm so great, you know. <laughs> And like that is just not what happened. Um, as you can imagine, when you're in your mid fifties, you're not really a hot commodity. Well, and you are great though. <laughs> Thank <laughs> That's you. for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, I, I mean, I know I was confident. I mean, but you know, I clearly was not what they had in mind and, um, nobody came calling and it was really difficult. It was terrifying. And I thought I was never going to work again. And I'm a dinosaur and I went through all this self-doubt and then I thought okay I just have to reinvent myself I've done this before I can do this again you know and I went to a course and I took some classes and I thought now they're gonna all hire me and of course still nobody wanted me um and then I did you know all these things that you're supposed to do and I was you know I'm very good at following rules so I'm a lawyer you know so I um was following all the rules and I started networking and I was calling everybody and talking to I didn't know what I was I would call these people up and I have no idea what to say to them because somebody told me to talk to them and so I would talk to them mostly they led nowhere but you keep going because you what else are you going to do um and it was a pandemic so there wasn't anywhere to go anyway um (laughs) so then one day I called my friend Jen because I was calling everybody and Jen's a super connector she happens to live in Israel and um, she's a social worker. Her husband happens to be a rabbi and an educator. And maybe I didn't mention, but my journalism work was in the Jewish world. Um, and his world and my world had overlapped from time to time. And I was thinking by this point, well, let's see, what. how can I reinvent myself? Maybe I'll be a grant writer. And so I was really talking to her about 
you know, grant writing, and she really knows everybody um, in this particular world that we live in and um, we work in. And so I thought she could help connect me to an organization that might want to hire me. And that was my thinking. And she said, sure, I can do that. But I think you should talk to my husband because I think you guys might be able to work together on something. Because lo and behold, he'd also lost a gig because of the pandemic and was now in this searching mode. What am I going to do next? So because you say yes, you always say yes. The answer is yes. It's always yes. So Correct. Is yes. Right. Isn't that right, Susie? You always say Absolutely. yes because you never know what it is. So I was like, okay, whatever. Yes, sure. I'll talk to him. So I talked to him and he said, well, I've got a bunch of ideas. He's a dreamer. This guy is a dreamer. You know, I'm, I'm this linearity. I'm a lawyer. He is a dreamer. You know, let's, how am I going to change the world today? Um, and so he gave me, you know, three or four of his ideas. And one of them I thought was fantastic. Work with people 55 and over. I thought, wow, this is a group of people that there's no exciting, engaging, interesting programs for. There's nothing adventurous. There's nothing. It's all like decrepitude. I did use that word, Susie, decrepitude. <laughs> it's all decrepitude and flower arranging these sedentary, boring programs. And I thought, well, maybe there's something that we can do here. I think I'm running along a little bit. Just wanna ask me no, I'm waiting. Uh, I have the next question in my mind, but I want you to, <laughs> <laughs> to carry on with words like decrepitude. Oh, yeah. So um, so we just sort of putting our heads together and we'd meet and then we'd meet again and then we'd say, do a little homework and then we'd meet again. And lo and behold, we came up with this idea for a program that we thought was viable. We're like, hey, this is Bible. He used his skills as an educator and rabbi and my skills as a storyteller. And really, we developed something called story listening, which is not about telling your story. It's about listening to other people tell their stories, um, which is really a skill that we don't really have so much of in our lives here. And we thought we could really do this and we could bring people to Haifa and um, they could spend a month there and do some programming about who we want to be in this stage of our lives, because after all, we're like 20 again. Who are we? Who do we want to be? What's important to us? All these questions that uh, that come up at the stage of life. Um, and we thought we, we really have the ability to do something really interesting here. So then we started shopping it around um, to people that we trusted in the field and say, well, what do you think? Is this viable? Can we do this? Will people come? And we got some really constructive criticism and a lot of enthusiastic yeses. And lo and behold, like somebody very well represented in the field said, not only is this a good idea, I'd like to do it with you. And um, and we were sort of at that point thinking, what's our credibility? Who's going to believe us? I'm a journalist. I have some people who know who I am and tr- believe in me. And he's a rabbi and educated with, with followers, but who's really, where's our credibility? This guy is a nationally known figure in the field who's going to be our credibility. And we said, okay, let's do it. And so that's it. We launched, we, we, we became Finding North. And, and within a very short amount of time, we had 20 people committing to come with us uh, to Haifa for a month, uh, which we, which we ran in 2022, which was amazing. Wow. That's a, that is amazing. So how would you describe your program? An elevator pitch. What's elevator it all about? Pitch. Uh, Finding North um, is a program of exploration, internal and external. We take people on journeys. Um, it started as this month-long program in Haifa, but we can do a half-day program, a full-day program, a weekend, um, two weeks. Uh, we even have a program in Georgia, in Tbilisi, Georgia, believe it or not. 
people who came on the program asked to go and come with us around the world. It's really a, um, an, an invitation to take a journey. And it's if you want the technical terms, we use um, informal education uh, uh, theory um, so that we're always having an experience that um, that prompts a deeper exploration. And what is the context of the exploration? Is it Jewish education? Is it um, like coaching and mindfulness? What What is it? We start each day with an intention. Um, everything is based in, in Judaism. You do not have to be Jewish to come with us, but everything is based in Jewish wisdom. Um, there's a concept even in Jewish in, in Judaism for storytelling, which is called Midrash. Um, and we learn based on our stories. That's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. And so we start our day with an intention. We call it a kavana, which is, means intention. Um, it, that sets a, the tone and the theme for the day. Um, each day has a theme. And then we, whatever we're doing in that day, meeting somebody, we often meet people from other backgrounds. We might meet the Palestinian who created the first halfway house, um, in Haifa, where, um, we also volunteered for the day. And, um, we, we might go to the, to the, um, flea market. And each day has a theme. And, and whoever we meet, we're always thinking about what is it about this day that's meeting me? Where am I? If we go to a flea market, we might, we might ask, um, what am I buying and selling? You know, am I, and, and that's not just products, but am I buying and selling my soul? When have I done that? Um, and it always leads to a text study that has to do with this stage of life. Um, and, and a writing prompt, a storytelling prompt. So if the storytelling prompt is, um, what, what am I buying and what have I bought and the time, or you might say a time that I bought and sold in my, myself. Um, and then, and then it's usually a metaphor for the day. And then you'll spend time with a partner, um, telling a, a very short anecdote from your life that fits into that theme. And usually things come right up. Uh, sometimes you have to dig a little in the warehouse, but usually something comes right up. Um, and then as you tell the story, the, your partner will help you unpack some of the meaning. They really listen carefully. They're not telling you about the time you had a similar, uh, experience. You're just listening to the person's story and helping them uncover the things they didn't share, something that was missing, uh, something that struck you. Um, and sometimes it helps them begin to crack the meaning of this story that they may have told 27,000 times in their lives, but suddenly they're going to see the meaning behind it. We're going to turn the anecdote over the course of the month into a story. So you, you break it open and we use some storytelling tools uh, to do that. So you're really giving, uh, providing a container with some structure. But it's uh, like there's a foundation, but it it tends to it sounds like it's pretty open. It's always open. It's always open for you to make of it what you can. And um, it also helps to create a very deep community because we're never talking about the weather, the sports. We're talking about something deeply meaningful that happened to me at some point in my life. And we're sharing it and we're open to share it with somebody who's going to then ask us questions about it to probe it a little further. So we end up also creating a very uh, tight-knit, intensive community of people who are all in the same place, trying to understand who they want to be in this next stage of their lives. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So now that you're into this new direction, what would you say is the reason that it gives you such joy? So I think you're right. Storytelling um, storytelling is something that's really um, deeply meaningful. I think that... Because um, that really has been something that's gone throughout everything you've done. I think 
everybody has a story to tell and that people's stories connect them to what's really meaningful. I really believe that. But I think what's also happening here is that I'm doing something really new and different for me. There's a lot of, that's an opportunity for growth, for change. That's how we, that's how we evolve as people, you know, and that's how we, that's how we keep the decrepitude away. (laughs) (laughs) You want to keep changing and growing and becoming. And if you stop becoming, what are you doing? And so. Well, you're stagnating and and that comes up a lot when people describe what the problem is and they use the word stuck. um, What it often comes down to is no growth. And what does no growth mean? No change, no challenge, not trying anything new, never becoming a beginner again. And it's um, it can really be a drag. It can just really be a drag. And if I look around at people who are happy in their careers, even if it's the same career, there have been opportunities that have been challenging or enough of a change. You know, maybe they've been able to do committee work. Maybe they've gotten on a board. Maybe they've gone for continuing education. Maybe they moved to a different city and do the same type of work, or maybe in the, even in the same company, or started an entrepreneurial pursuit, but it's an, a related field. There's been something, but at least that's what I found. That when I when I'm always so curious about happiness, why are you so happy? <laughs> I think you're so right. I don't want to lose a piece of this though, because part of it is a hundred percent terrifying. You know, I know a lot about writing. I don't necessarily know a lot about teaching writing. And I certainly don't know a lot about education and getting up and beginning to offer this first workshop when we got to Haifa after two years of work. And I got up and I thought, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm doing here. (laughs) All these people who have to have this amazing experience because they've now paid a lot of money and they want to have this transforming experience. And who am I? And what do I think I'm doing here? And absolutely terrifying. to be. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's about being a beginner again. And yeah, absolutely. Why am I so afraid to get up and talk in front of people? And, and um, I might die. I think I'm, I'm going to die. die. <laughs> but I might, I might not do well. And, you know, and, and luckily, of course, Golan has 30 years of, ex- of experience doing exactly this kind of stuff. And so he, he can carry, you know, those pieces and, and help me out with those pieces that are newer for me. Um and I and I do bring the the deeper knowledge of of writing writing prompts and what will bring people uh, what will help them um, connect to their stories. But it, it there's nothing that's not terrifying about it. A hundred percent. And the truth is that it, people knew they were the first cohort, and um and we understood pretty quickly that there was a piece missing to our um, storytelling. The storytelling part of this because we'd never done it before, and it wasn't something that Golan had done before. And so um, we pretty quickly figured out there was a piece missing, but we couldn't really fix the program um, until after it had ended and we could really download and see, okay, here's what we really need. And then I spent a weekend, I did a a weekend workshop with a storyteller to understand how I could bring more depth into this part of the program. And that was really, really insightful. And so it's a learning, you know, there's a learning. Well, that's the whole point with growth. There is learning. Yet. We're so fearful of failure because in our heart of hearts, we as humans really don't naturally appreciate that failure is part of the journey. There's no way to do something new 
without failure. And if you really believe that failure is just learning, it's so much easier to manage those emotions because it is scary for sure. Um, also, I realized we didn't introduce the names of your partners in this program and you've referred to them a few times. So who are the partners? Yeah. So my business partner is uh, Rabbi Dr. Golan ben Horin, person I've been referring to as Golan. Thank you. And the other person is um, Rabbi Kerry Olitsky. He's the um, the person who has a lot of experience in this field. He's done cool. programs and all that sort of stuff. So all this information will be in the links. Okay, so this is great. And now you're doing something you really like and you can see the whole pattern of storytelling and writing and and communication is where your sweet spot really is, right? Like you love that. Um, and thank goodness that you had enough courage to pick up the phone, to call people and put yourself out there when you really didn't know what to do. And you used a phrase that I wanted to circle back to um, that I thought was so interesting and so important. And it is a super connector. So you called somebody, you called many people, but one of them you identified as a super connector. And what did that mean to you? And what do you know about super connectors? I, I try to focus on super connectors. There are people who can help us and it doesn't matter whether they're super connectors or not. And then there are people who just because of who they are, they can help. And those are the super connectors. They somehow, they're the people who everybody knows. Everybody has a person in their neighborhood who everybody knows. Everybody has a person in their, you know, faith community that everybody knows. It's that person who seems to know somehow or other, they know everybody. Um, and it's usually women, let's face it, but not always. Um, <laughs> if you have one friend who's a super connector, he's, he's a man. Um, but there are people who, they're not only people who know everybody, but they're, they can't wait to connect you. I can't yes. wait to tell you about my friend, Dan, because he also has, you know, a, an interest in masks from Namibia. And let me tell, let me put you in touch with him. There's, you know, and oh my God, I, I can't believe I didn't talk about Helen, who, you know, she also runs a business involving tissues. And <laughs> like these weird things and they are, and they can't wait to put you together. Oh, yeah. I love that's a, That's such a great example. My husband is a super connector and people know it. And the way you described the thrill that a super connector has in making a connection and follow through and persistence, oh, it is something. It is something. And that is so important. The reason I wanted to put a spotlight on it is because it is just so important when you're stuck, when you're thinking, I don't know exactly what to do. I need to talk to more people. I have to get out there. On your journey to figure out what it is that you really want to do, having more relationships with people is critical. Talking to more people, critical. Like you may or may not want to go to a headhunter or whatever they call headhunters now, recruiters. <laughs> I guess I just dated myself. Um, there are many ways to put yourself out there. And sometimes it involves being employed by somebody else as a contractor or as an employee. Sometimes it just involves connecting and sharing ideas. And I've heard many stories uh, when it comes to entrepreneurial things, the importance of connection and listening and having the ability to process ideas and what other smart, amazing people are suggesting to you so that you have a chance to be a super connector in your brain of what that might mean. Like, how could you apply that information um, that you just got? So I love that you know who these super connectors are. You did, 
I do, and I'm sure people listening right now are thinking about somebody they know, they just always seem to know the a person to connect or the next thing to do or or a website to contact or whatever. They just know. It's a superpower. That's exactly right. Don't overlook these folks. They can help. <laughs> and they, they want to help because yes. they, they understand that it's their superpower. And so they, they want to help you. They want to connect you with the person who they think can help you get to the next place. It's so true. It's so true. And I find a lot of um, people our age, women our age, we didn't grow up typically understanding the true value of these kinds of connections professionally. And I just know kids today get it. Since LinkedIn, people are starting to get it. Um, kids today are starting to get it. They don't all really appreciate it when they graduate. Um, but I find that uh, nobody can do anything alone. You need other people's brains, ideas, support, um, and networks. And that was a brilliant move because if you didn't do that, you probably wouldn't be where you are right now. So happy and excited about what you're doing. Right. So good. So good. So if you um, had to make a recommendation to somebody listening right now who is stuck and just lost a work opportunity, perhaps like you did, or they just know they need a change, what are some of your biggest insights from your experience? So, you know, I think that listening to your gut is always something you say yes to. And I think even if it's a teeny tiny voice that says, you know, you love dogs, you should be doing something with dogs. Or, <laughs> you know, you know, you love hairspray. Like, come on, like, let's let's just do that. You know, whatever that thing is, we all have that voice. And I think it's it's really important to listen to that voice. And I think it's really important to sit in the muck I was actually just telling my son, kids in their 20s, they're kind of in the same place. They're sort of sitting in muck and they don't know exactly where the future holds for them or what direction to go. And then sometimes I tell my son, you just have to sit in the muck for a little bit until you get clarity, until it sort of becomes yeah. clear. And I think that uh, that's that goes the same for people in their 50s. Um, sometimes you just have to sit in the muck a little bit and clarity will come and you don't know where it's going to come from. And you have to, at the same time as you're sitting in the muck, you also have to like call everyone, you know, <laughs> even like that, join that group that somebody told you to join. Just say yes. Just say yes and keep reaching out because there's no way to know um, which thing is going to carry you to where you want to go. And you have to just keep giving yourself a pep talk and keep just keep making that next move. Just put one foot in front of the other and keep making that next move and say yes and that's it. And then sooner or later, you know, something's going to happen. Just don't know what. So true. So true. And about saying yes, it can feel scary at first to say yes. When you're thinking all these other thoughts, I don't really have time. This may not pan out. I don't feel like getting dressed. I don't feel like going to that meeting. But if nothing changes, nothing will change. So you need to get new inputs. And sometimes, as older and wiser women, we need to um, make an effort to get these different inputs from people and experiences. Because if you don't have, it, it's easier to get new insights when you have things to compare to or react to. I remember when I lost my job, I got laid off. I made the big list and I started investigating things. And things on the list 
you know, right away I could have poo-pooed them away. Like I put everything I loved there. I loved solar panels, solar energy. I thought was fascinating. I'm like, I'm putting it on the list. I do love dogs. I put on dog grooming. You know, I just made a big list full of everything I loved and I investigated. And it was in the investigation that I became more knowledgeable and it gave me more data, more inputs that I could assess and catch my thoughts about. So when I realized with solar power, I am not an engineer, so I couldn't do anything on that end that really I could only probably get involved in sales. (laughs) From my little bit of research, I'm like, you know, I don't think that's what I want to do, but I do love solar energy. (laughs) I'll go take some pictures of some windmills or something (laughs) because I love photography too. So it was just a really fun experience, but there's, you can't put a price tag on the value of getting more data and giving yourself more opportunity to assess and interpret the data, even if it's a no. It starts with a yes. I love that. So good. So how can people get a hold of you for more information? Oh, they can visit our website, www.findingnorthllc.com. I'm told if you don't put the LLC in, you get all kinds of different websites that you don't want to go on, or maybe you do, but um, (laughs) don't forget the LLC, www.findingnorthllc.com. Amazing. Of course, I'll put the link in the show notes. And that is that. Thank you so much. I love your journey going from law to journalism to really owning your passion for writing and storytelling and, um, you know, just saying yes and figuring stuff out. Thank you so much for joining us. And I wish all the midlife ladies such a fun journey. It was so good. Thank you so much, Susie. And thank you to everybody who's listening. Okay, that's it for this episode. Another amazing woman in the middle who learned to trust herself so she could tap into her passion and her beautiful combination of talent, skills, and temperament to fulfillment and happiness at work. She had to trust herself. And she admits that at times it's terrifying to make a change like this. I get it. But that's courage. Courage doesn't mean that it's not scary anymore. Courageous people still feel fear, but they do it anyway. When you're motivated by your commitment to helping people by sharing something that you know will help, it's easier to lean in, to move in that direction, even though it's scary, even though you don't have all the answers. So my challenge to you is to think about a time when you were scared to do something, but you did it anyway, and then compare that to a time that you were scared and didn't do it anyway. And what can you learn from that? What can you learn from the way you were thinking, from the way you were feeling, what you were making it all mean? Would you handle it the same way now? So good to think about that stuff. And it's good to know. It's good to know for yourself and good to remember that expecting that you won't feel some fear when you're doing new things, it's just not realistic. You're doing something new. It's normal to feel some fear. It is. So you've got this. Trust yourself more and embrace some occasional fear. You'll keep getting better and better at it too. Okay, so as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. And mindfulness is the key ingredient to regret-proofing your life. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. 
Being stuck can be rough, but it doesn't have to mean that you're completely immobilized. (laughs) It could just be that you're not where you want to be in your life in general or business. Or maybe it's the intersection of life and business. Another common reason you might feel off is that you're just too darn busy and have no work-life balance, whatever that is, right? (laughs) The bottom line is that you know you're meant for more and don't want to waste valuable time. So if you're ready to make some important changes and want to be way more clear about what you want and how to get there, I can help you create the success you're craving. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind, because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women. You can feel great about your future. Email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's a good fit for you. Go ahead and book your free, no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 302. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on the new podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week.